Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So for several years, my heart cry, and I think a lot of you, if not all of you in the room has been, I want more of your presence. 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 And for the redeemed child of God, I just think that's, that's a, an expression of a heart that's in rhythm with the Father's heart. He wants us to have more of his presence. God is not playing peekaboo with you. He, he, he actually wants you to experience his presence more than you want to experience his presence. And so when I look at this first appointment that God makes with Jonah, it starts out with a calling. This is, this is really when, where God appoints a mission to Jonah. But God is not primarily about the mission. The mission is kind of the context, but he's... He's beginning this narrative with Jonah, and he's really just all about his boy Jonah. And that's the way the whole story is going to be played out before us. But that's not to say that God is so relationally intentional with Jonah that it doesn't matter what Jonah does. Because God has a plan that is bigger than Jonah, but he's wanting to include Jonah in on it. And he wants Jonah to respond, not so much as a servant, but as a son. Not so much of one who is just dispatched to fulfill a task, but as a son who looks at the father and says, I trust you, and I want to go where you're going. I want to get in on what you're doing. And that's really supposed to be our heartbeat too. But Jonah makes this very, very difficult on himself. And as this series is going to unfold, we're, you know, I mean, we're going to learn. I, I'm just a big proponent of, hey, I'm going to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Don't waste, a, waste somebody else's good mess up. Amen. You know, if they've done it, learn from it. I had, I had two big sisters. And so growing up in the Lyle household, I learned what not to do by watching my big sisters blow it over and over again. And so and my own mistakes, I want to learn from them. So when I'm watching Jonah, who's been inscripturated, I mean, he is in the Bible. He's engraved in the eternal writ of God. And the things that were written before time are written for our instruction, for our learning. And so I want to pattern myself in the opposite way when God reveals his mission to me. And I want to say this, that friends, the closer we are and the more we're hungering after his presence... He's going to invite you. He is going to come after you in a glorious way that says, I not only love you where you are, but I love you so much, I'm going to let you get in on what I'm doing in your generation. And so the mission and the relationship are, are under the same yoke. 
And so let's look at it. Let's just start with just some very elementary thoughts on this thing and begin with this. This is how it always works. When God appoints a mission, this is how he operates. God chooses a person. The Lord does do some things sovereignly, but most of the time he works through his people. And in this case, he was going to do something in Nineveh that was going to tingle the ears of everybody that heard it. He was going to shake the nation of, 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 of the capital of the kingdom of Assyria. And he's, he's calling Jonah. And the Bible just says this, the word of the Lord came to him. So when God wanted to begin this, this is how God speaks. He starts to communicate to Jonah, who was already a prophet. He was already serving the Lord. And he's here described as the son of Amittai. Now, what's interesting is Jonah's daddy's name means loyal and faithful. And Jonah was not living up to his daddy's name. Literally, what it means is the, the son of my faithfulness or the son of my loyalty. So if we want to go really big picture with it, it, it may be that Jonah is, is the recipient of the heavenly father's faithfulness and loyalty. See, Jonah is going to prove to us that he was anything but loyal to the father, but the father was consistently, constantly loyal to, the, to him. Though Jonah denied him, God could not deny himself. And so we see this, but I want to hone in on this, that it's the word of the Lord that came to Jonah. And so again, right here we have in our Bible that God is a communicative God. God speaks. God has not gone mute. God did not stop speaking when the Bible, when the canon of Scripture was completed. He did not stop speaking when the first century ended and the apostles, the original apostles and prophets passed off of the scene. God has never stopped speaking. The, 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 the mindset that says that, well, God wrote the Bible and he went mute on us cannot be extrapolated from Scripture. You cannot get that out of the Bible. The reality is, is that yes, we have the objective authoritative word of God, but God is so committed to relationship that he doesn't want us worshiping a book that he wrote. He wants us to worship the author. He wants us to worship himself. And so what does he do? He speaks. He knows your language. He knows what accent you respond to. He knows how to speak to you. Oftentimes, he'll use your own vocabulary. He's a master communicator. And so here we are in Jonah's life. And in some defined day, out of nowhere, God says, Jonah. And the word of the Lord came to him. You're going to find it all throughout Scripture. You've got it in Hosea, Hosea chapter number 1. Hosea, another prophet, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Same thing with Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the word uh, to whom the word of the Lord came. You've got Micah. The word of the Lord came to Micah. And then you've got other descriptions of a similar event. You've got the hand of the Lord being on different people in Scripture, or a vision came from the Lord. And you see it Old Testament and New Testament. What you find is this, is that God is constantly initiating interaction with his people. And brothers and sisters, that's so important. I know it's elementary to a lot of you in here, but I'm going to tell you something. The vast majority of the professing Western church would tell you, I'd never hear from God. I never hear from God. And I want to tell you, it's not because God has muted himself. It is because we've been trained in an intellectually dominated post-enlightenment culture that we are trained only to believe in those things that we can measure or prove. And therefore, the mystical, the supernatural experience that was very common in the very Bible we say we believe, that we, we no longer give ourselves to that. And I want you to know, it's very difficult to experience and acknowledge and affirm something that you don't intellectually believe in. Yeah. So the, the reality is, is that God is speaking all the time, but we do not have our antenna up. 
And so if we will begin by faith to raise our antenna and we'll tune out some things that we're normally tuned into, you will begin to hear the voice of the Lord for yourself. I think one of the most vulnerable things for any of us in the body of Christ is to be fully dependent on getting our instruction from the Lord through another person. Uh, you know, I, I thank God, and I can say this because I know my heart, and I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to teach you the truth. And in my commitment, I know I'm going to give an account one day for every word that I spoke and every way I shepherded this church. But when I tell you, my heart is to always tell you the truth, but I can promise you something. In 20 years of preaching the gospel, there have been times where I have been in error. And it takes a person that has to be the ability to hear from the Lord himself or herself to be able to recognize, okay, Jeff said this. you got to know this. I preached for years against the very stuff that I preach forcefully for now. When I was trained as a cessationist, I was trained not to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was theologically trained. I was educated into saying the gifts of the Spirit are not operative. And I preached messages like that. But then the word of the Lord came to Jeff. And the Bible came alive. And the Holy Spirit began to speak. And so all of my professors and all of the teachers and all of the mentors that I had, all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh, I don't need to be fully dependent on them. They're fallible. They're fallible. And so when we see this, we've got just this opening statement that when God wanted to initiate a movement, a mission, a moment, something of magnitude in Jonah's generation, he started out by saying, hey, Jonah. And he spoke directly to him. Now go further with me in this. Go down into verse number two. God chooses the person, and for our purposes in this study, that person is Jonah. But then he reveals the purpose. Here it is, verse number two. Here's the assignment of Jonah. Coming, by the way, from God Almighty, the Creator, the highest supreme authority with no rival, no peer, no equal. This is who is talking with Jonah. And he says, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, because their evil has come up before me. Now, that is his calling. That's his assignment. His general calling is to be a prophet of God. And that's what he was doing faithfully in Israel during a time where Israel was being uh, encroached upon by in the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah was growing up. Matter of fact, Jonah grew up in a town. It's got a weird name, but grew up in a town that was very close to the border that separated the Assyrians' territory from Israel's territory. So Jonah would have been aware of this vicious and violent people, the Assyrians, that were beginning to dominate everywhere. And he had in his heart a deep hostility towards them nationally. He hated them. And we find that through his, his testimony that will unfold in there. And so we've got this calling on his life. And the first thing is this, Jonah, get up from where you are. Stop what you've been doing. I'm about to give you a brand new assignment. Now, if I can risk a moment of critique, uh, that would have been where the process ended for most modern day Western Christians. Because God's saying, hey, Jonah, I'm about to change stuff up on you in order for you to be obedient. And most Western Christians in the 21st century say, oh, no, Lord, I'm, I'm happy to fulfill the calling, but don't mess with the extremities of my life. Don't mess with my schedule. Don't mess with my money. Don't mess with my location. Don't mess with my geography. Don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my, my comfort zone. Lord, I have worked really hard to cultivate this. Lord, you may not know this. This is the American dream that I'm building here. And so we, we don't see a lot of this, but this was the number one. The first thing from the, word, uh, from the Lord that came to him was get up. 
take initiative. Get on your feet, and I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, friends, you and I don't live there. We're not ancient Hebrews. But I want to tell you, whatever, whatever international uh, group of people might cause you the most fear, the most discomfort, you know, we can think of radical Islam. We can think of different segments of society. I have a friend who has a, 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 a student in another part of the world right now. It's very dangerous. He's on a mission trip, and this individual, all around their city, there is violent protest against any kind of belief system other than the belief system that's entrenched in that, in that place where he is. And, and so his, his parents are sending out emails keeping us updated what's going on with him. Now, these are people that hate Christians, and so there, there is this tendency in our heart to assume that those, hate, that those that hate us should be hated by us. And if they're hated by us, then God must hate them too. That would have been Jonah's view of the Ninevites. Jonah would have been like, the, the Lord hates Nineveh. They're pagans. They're violent. They, they, they worship the, the goddess of the Ishtar. They're involved in all sorts of sexual immorality. They destroy people. Some of the ancient uh, artifacts that archaeologists have, have digged up by, by this very community, this very culture at that time, their own uh, pottery and engravings depict them as, as genocidal people. They were bloodthirsty and marauders and murderers, and they were merciless and cruel. And God is saying to an orthodox kosher Hebrew prophet, rise up and go there. 600 miles away from your home. Get up and go. Don't take anybody with you. Go there, and I'm going to tell you, Jonah, you're going to have a message. And when you get there, I want you to cry out against their sin. I want you to expose, to put the, the light of Yahweh's heart and holiness on the sin of Nineveh and call them to repentance. You talk about a tough assignment. Yes. You know, I've wanted to be a missionary. I prayed for years that God would call me to Hawaii. <laughs> Jamaica. That's, that, that's, you know, those people need the gospel too, Lord. Somebody's got to go there. And Jonah, Jonah gets sent to Nineveh with a message that is like a lightning bolt. And so he is being sent by God on an extremely difficult, as far as the human eye can see. Now, God knows exactly what he's about to do, but he is partnering with Jonah, and Jonah is digging in his prophetic heels. He doesn't want to go to this large, great city. Three days it takes to walk around it. It's militarized. It's the heart, it's the capital of the enemy's empire, the Assyrian Empire. And it's, it's this kind of cesspool of all things dark and sinful. And Jonah's being called by the authority, the Lord of his life. Jonah, here's your direction. Get up and go to Nineveh. Here's your expectation when you get there. Cry out against it. I mean, listen, when God tells you to cry out against something, he does not want you to half-step. He doesn't want you to sugarcoat it. And although we live in a, in a, in a crazy, over-the-top, politically correct society, look, I don't want to be obnoxious when I speak about a call to a holy life and the reality that God still hates sin. 
I, I don't, I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to, you know, like these terrible protesters that hold up those signs and they think they're serving the Lord and they say God hates this certain people group and they use foul language and they picket funerals. Listen, the Lord's not within a million miles of that. That's not how we communicate. But at the same time, I'm also not inclined just to, to give vague kind of lukewarm answers when we're directly asked about standards of biblical morality. And in our culture, even preachers have now kind of caved in on this stuff and they're, they're, they're expressing to a generation that's lost, a generation that is dying, a generation that is drowning in their own sin. And, and you've got leaders supposedly in the kingdom telling them, well, I'm not, God's got to judge that. Well, friends, listen, God's already judged it. He's already spoken. He's already written. And he's called us to be the echo in our generation. Not that we just go around and denounce and denounce and denounce. But how many of you know that you'll never want to be found until you recognize you're lost? And what we're doing is we're, we're taking away the, 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 the sting of conviction by not speaking clearly and biblically to these issues. Well, Jonah was being called to, to get up and call out against it. But, but here's the thing. I, I love that the Lord gave the explanation. Jonah, why is he sending Jonah? There's this little word there in the English Bible. It says, for. For their evil has come up before me. It, it, it tells you a little bit about the heart of God. So God's not been ignorant of the Assyrian Empire. He's not been ignorant of the violence and the decadence and all of the things going on in Nineveh. But God is compassionate and God is merciful. And listen, as, as much as you think you would like for him to exterminate injustice and, and exterminate sin and exterminate immorality and exterminate the enemy, you, you, you say in our hearts, we say, I, I wish he'd do it now. But you got to remember, the same mercy and compassion that, that allows them some time to repent is the same mercy and compassion that allows us time to repent when it's yes. our sin. Yes. Are y'all with me tonight? Yes. Yeah, then aren't you glad you came out on a Wednesday night? Amen. Yes. Hey, listen. Um, God had allowed space and allowed time. And, and he allowed for this season to pass. And in, in only his divine counsel, he says, okay, it's reached its limit. It has now come up to me. And that's when he calls somebody and he says, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to send you and you're going to be a counteractive force in Nineveh. The kingdom of darkness owns Nineveh. The prince of the power of the air owns Nineveh. And Jonah, I'm so mighty that I can take you and I can put you in Nineveh and everything that the devil's done for centuries can be reversed if you'll go up there and you'll cry out against it. Now, I, I wonder about that. So let's take it from these extreme scenes and let's just bring it back to where we're living. Because, friends, we're agents of light. We are salt. We, we are called and empowered and, an author, and authorized and dispatched to move in like leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we move in. That can be a positive force. We move into a situation. And we begin to yield to the Lord. And, we, and we, we tarry before the Lord. And we soak in the presence of the Lord. And then when the Lord dispatches us, whether it's to work or to school or in the family or in the community... When, when we step into it, I want to tell you something. God does exponentially more with you than you might think that he can do. And he's not looking for the super abundantly gifted. He is looking for the supremely willing Amen. to go out and say, yes, Lord, here am I. Use me. Yes. 
And yet we think we've got to ratchet up. We've got to be saddled with Saul's armor. And we've, we've got to wait until we've got expertise and, you know, the superabundance of gifting. And I just don't believe that. I believe that if you'll walk in the light that you currently have, he'll give you more light. He'll, he'll use what you have right now. And so Jonah didn't need to go for an extra four years into the school of the prophets. He already had everything that he needed. But here's the bottom line of it. God was sending Jonah to a people that Jonah despised. And Jonah didn't want to go. And we'll talk more about that next time. But let's go ahead and we'll get down into verse number three with this. So God encounters a prodigal. Jonah. He goes all prodigal son on God the Father. Let's, let's just watch how it works. First of all, Jonah's heart was evasive. The Bible says Jonah rose. So God told him, rise, Jonah, arise. Jonah says, oh, I'm going to get up all right. <laughs> Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So here's some Bible geography for you. Where Jonah was, God was saying, I want you to go northeast to Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against their sin because their evil has come up to me. And so Jonah gets up, and Jonah does not go northeast. Jonah goes almost due west. A long, he starts heading out a long way. He is literally, geographically, running in the exact opposite direction of where God is sending him to go. And he is doing it like with absolute, he's not batting and I. Now, I, I don't know, man. I just, sometimes we, we got to be careful about what we think about our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the Bible says there's a certain element where you don't always know your heart. But I would like to think if God said, Jeff, I want you to go down to Tallahassee and preach that I would not go down to Hartsfield Airport and book a flight to Chicago. I'd like to think that my heart would say, okay. But Jonah did the, uh, the ancient equivalent of booking a flight to Chicago when he was called to go to Tallahassee, complete opposite direction. And so when I, when I look at this, I'm saying to myself, man, he's got an evasive heart. And I'm going to come back to this because it, it even tells you what his motive was. He's saying to himself, I have got to get away from God. That's what he's saying. It says that he rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. These are extreme actions by Jonah. But this is what it boils down to. Because Jonah didn't like what God was doing in his life, God had become somebody to avoid. And I just want to go ahead and bring it home. Because, friends, you have seen that in people. You may not see anybody booking a boat to Tarshish, but, but you've seen this. If you've been around church long enough. You've watched this happen if you're observant. Some, somebody's on fire for Christ. They're walking with the Lord. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's a decade. And then God allows something into that life. And that life externally, circumstantially, shaken. Maybe it came out of left field. Maybe it was an ambush. Maybe it was uh, some kind of... Um, abandonment. Maybe it was a loss. It was a pain. It was a circumstance that they didn't sign up for, that they never saw coming. It wasn't in the script that they handed God for him to sign off on. And in that moment, there became a disillusionment in the heart. 
And that individual, all of a sudden, God went from being easy and safe and predictable, and now internally they're saying, oh, I'm afraid of him. I don't understand him. He's an unpredictable God. And they take the idea of God's sovereignty, which is meant to be given to us as a comfort, as a, as a, as a protection, a shield, a refuge. But all of a sudden, that sovereignty of God becomes a threat to them. And so all in, in those moments, God becomes somebody to avoid. So what happens in that kind of individual situation? Well, the, the last thing they want to do is be around people that are worshiping the Lord. People that are serving the Lord. People that are grinding their own way through the complexities of what it means to walk with Jesus by faith in a world that doesn't honor him and love him. People that are also being tested in their faith, and yet those people seem to be able to praise the Lord through it and continue to serve the Lord through it and to seek his presence even more. But they're, they're, they're convicted by that, or they're offended by that, or they're perplexed by that. So what do they do? They distance themselves from the people of God. And, and they carve out a new place. They, they don't abandon the faith, by the way. They don't. But what they do is, is they just say, I'm not going to go anywhere further with him. I'm not going to connect with those things that I used to connect to God. I'm not going to connect with those things. And so they, they, they experience kind of what Jonah's experiencing. They literally try to avoid omnipresence. That's, not a, that's really not a winning pursuit in your life. And the amazing thing is, is that uh, the way we think, our flesh, and I do believe oftentimes this is, can be uh, demonically aggravated. The, the, how many of you know that, the, that the, the wolf, the enemy, he has no mercy on you when you're weak, when you're distanced, when you're wounded? You know, there's something in us that when we see somebody wounded, somebody vulnerable, somebody that, that could become prey, we want to we protect and we want to help. That's not the enemy. The enemy sees somebody in a situation like that, and he says, now's the time to pounce. And so he comes in in the midst of these kind of things, and he, 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 I don't know how he does it all the time, but I know that he can operate to deceive and accuse. And he, he not only accuses you to you, and not only accuses you to God, but he accuses God to you. And so we, we, our, our, our thinking gets twisted about who the Father is, and all of a sudden, instead of being the refuge that we run to, we, we run away from him because he, he's become scary to us. Now, I hope that's not where you are tonight, but if it is, I, I, I just hope that you can receive what I'm saying tonight is, is simply this. You, you don't want to run from him. You, bring all of your confusion to him. B bring all of your questions to him. Even be open and honest. Pour out your complaint before him, as the psalmist said. So you bring, you cast all your care upon him, and you don't do that from a distance. And so Jonah is, is going to Tarshish. His, his Samsonite is packed. His ticket is punched. And because he didn't like what God was doing, he decided that it would be best to avoid God. His actions, therefore, were deliberate. <coughs> Pardon me. The Bible says that he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he didn't just think about it. He didn't just desire it. He said, I'm going to do it. And of course, circumstances lined up and, you know, everything was going his way. 
He might have even been talking to himself, thinking, well, this, this must actually be the plan of God. If God was against it, he'd be stopping me. He'd be fighting me. He'd be refusing me. But here I am. I'm going down to Joppa. There happens to be a boat going to Tarshish. They happen to have a place where I can go. And this, this is great. So look down, and, and the Bible says that his, he paid the fare. So he was committed to this, and it's going to cost him something. Forgive the kind of uh, sappiness of that, but it's right there in the Scripture. I'm not going to avoid it. He paid the fare. That just speaks to me. That's an easy point to make. He's, anytime you, you're running from the will of the Father, anytime you're running from the plan of God, it's going to cost you something. And it's going to cost you something that God gave you in order to be expended in something that he was doing, not, not in running away from him. John Piper wrote a book many, many years ago that I, I still recommend it to people. Don't waste your life. I, I think if you're, if you're under 40 years old, you, you need to get a copy of John Piper's book and read it. If, you, if you're raising a, a late teen and early 20s in your household, get them a copy of that book and let them read Don't waste your life. Don't squander it out. Don't, don't, don't spill it out. Don't, don't take everything that he, he has done for you and put in you and who he is to you and, and let it just kind of leak out into unprofitable things. Now, Jonah went down and he paid the fare and, and he got on board. By the way, it's a good time to insert this verse. Proverbs 14, verse number 12, you know this verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof, King James, the end thereof are the ways of death. Everything seemed right to Jonah. Everything's going his way. Listen, we, we, we act upon whatever our greatest desire is. And in that moment, Jonah's greatest des desire is to flee the presence of God. So he's acting upon it, deliberate. It's costing him something. He is now on the boat. He is now out into the sea. He has got a long journey ahead of him, heading to Tarshish. And he is sailing nautical mile after nautical mile out of the will of the Father. But I want to tell you something that Jonah didn't pick up on. Jonah's not on the shore. I mean, excuse me. The Father's not on the shore saying, Jonah, come back. Jonah, come back. Oh, I missed him. How am I going to get to Jonah? You know where the Father is? He's on the boat. He's under the boat. He's above the boat. He's whistling for a big old fish that's going to be a part of the story next time we get together. It's just incredible to me what we will do. And listen, I didn't get saved until I was 24 years old. So from age 14, where I made a deliberate decision to walk away from what I knew of the faith and walk away from the people of God and walk away from all of the teaching that was poured into me for the first 14 years of my life. I made a deliberate decision. I, I, I can take you to the time and place. I was 14 years old. The church that I was attending, they practiced church discipline, and I had not been in three months. And I had been starting to dabble in, in all sorts of things I shouldn't have been dabbling in at, at, at all, but especially at age 14. And I remember a letter came in the mail from my pastor. And it was a form letter, but it had my name on it. it was, Dear Jeff, blah, 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 blah. You haven't been at church. You're, you're, you're not coming. You're not doing it. You're not, you're not fulfilling your call to your commitment to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, if we do not hear from you, we're going to strike you from the church roll. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way they rolled. But I remember reading that letter, and I knew it. I'm going to tell you, even as a lost 14-year-old, and um, I knew I was at a crossroads. And I remember sitting in front of my desk, and it was on green paper, and I remember I just took it and I ripped it up. 
in an open act of defiance. And for the next decade of my life, day in and day out, my whole motivation for living is run from God, run from God, run from God. And everywhere I went, there he was. Um, the prodigal life, the rebellious life, the, the life on the run in the kingdom, all you do is get old and tired and worn out. You never win. You only win when you stop running. And Jonah was going to be a little bit of a hard case. And so his plans were illogical. So it says he paid the fare, he went on board. He's going to go with them. Who are they? They're pagan seafaring men. They're, they're like Gentile Navy guys. They're going to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah felt better about life being on a boat with a bunch of pagans who didn't know his God than he did being in the will of God going to pagans to tell them about God. Jonah was around pagans anyway. God was saying, go and I want you to go up there and you're going to preach. Later on, Jonah will confess, yeah, the reason why I didn't go is because I knew you were going to save them. How's that for a blessing? A guy doesn't want to enter ministry because of his strong confidence that God will save people if he preaches. And that's, where jo that's how just messed up Jonah's thinking was. It's like, Lord, I know you're merciful. I know you're good. I know you're kind. I know you're gracious. Therefore, I don't want to preach to these people because I hate them, and I don't want you to save them. That's literally the logic behind it. It's so illogical. And so he's going away from the presence of the Lord. By the way, Psalm 139, verse 7 Ask a great question. Psalmist said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So we get down to the very end. Because I don't want to end about talking about just how pitiful Jonah was in this incredibly weak chapter in his life. I just want to end, and so I'm going to import a verse from Isaiah, a couple of verses, and just remind us all because... You know, it's real easy to sit here in 2018 and talk about Jonah while he's not in the room to defend himself. So, no. But I, I'm just going to tell you, man, I mean, at the risk of insulting you, uh, there's probably a little sliver of Jonah in you, in me. Not this extreme, I hope. But chances are, since you came to Jesus Christ, God's nudged you a few times and you've just kind of pulled away the shoulder. Is that getting too raw for you? Okay, y'all are a bunch of water walkers, and y'all don't, don't ever struggle. I'm going to tell you, listen, if you're consistently listening to the Lord, then he's going to consistently call you deeper and deeper into things that are over your head. He's, he, you know, he'll meet you in the shallows, but he doesn't want to stay there with you. And so when he's consistently calling us, hey, let me just give you this. This will make it easy rather than being vague with it. Jesus looked at you one day and he said, hey, love your enemies. Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Because it's hard. Love the one that doesn't love you. Bless the one that curses you. Treat with kindness the one that persecutes you. If they ask you, if they demand of you to walk a mile with them, Jesus said, go to them. If they're going to take your, your, your inner garment, go ahead and give them that and the outer garment too. 
He constantly goes deeper and deeper into us. He's constantly mining for gold that that he knows is in there. But I I, I want you to know that it hurts when he starts digging in there. And and the natural, that's the key word, the natural reaction is that when he starts digging deeper because he's getting at something that's going to be really, really good when his hand's on it. But the natural reaction is when he starts digging it, it hurts and we, we pull away the shoulder. We pull a Jonah. That's why I don't want to be too hard on him. I want to learn from him. Again, that's the point. So, okay, I'm not on a boat to Tarshish, but I've got some history with some people that didn't necessarily do me right, and Jesus does not look at me and say, well, it's okay if you don't love them. He doesn't. That's the the test of my discipleship. I mean, it's easy to love those that love us. It's easy to love those that are just like us because we naturally self-love. And so when we see somebody that we see in them what we love about ourselves, you're easy to love. You're like me. I love you. And so what Jesus does, he says, that's great because I want you to love everybody. But you're becoming so much more like me when you love those that walk away from you. Remember the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler had all of his theology down. And Jesus looks into his heart in a prophetic moment. He sees that this guy absolutely loves his money more than he loves anything else, more than the Torah, more than the kingdom, more than anything. And Jesus says to this particular individual, he says, you are so close, now go and sell everything that you've got and come and follow me. Give it to the poor, come and follow me. And the Bible says that that man walked away from Jesus, walked away from it, but the Bible also says as he did, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved the one that rejected him. Loved the ones. Listen, I mean, the whole scene and the crucifixion. Jesus is interceding from the very ones inflicting, humanly, inflicting that pain on him. He he rises from the grave. Who's the first person he went after? Peter, the denier. Judas was dead. But Peter... Was, had spiritually imploded, and instead of Jesus rising up and saying, Peter, now you see what I was doing. How did you not have faith? Why did Jesus goes after Peter in a mission of restoration, laying himself out again for Peter. That's how we know we're becoming like him. Here's an Old Testament way of saying it. Isaiah 65, verses 2 and 3, because Jonah's God is merciful. Listen to this. These are the words of the Father. I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. Get a glimpse of Abba's heart. There's a lot of people in my life and in your life and in our churches that are absolutely emotionally convinced that God has been done with them for a really long time. And if I'm being honest, the church kind of reinforces that with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of demand and not a whole lot of grace. And so one of the things we rarely hear is that when we fail God, or when somebody else fails God. And listen, even when it's like massive implosion, 
moral collapse, criminal offense, terrible deeds. And there's something in our heart that imagines that there must be a limit with God. Because our heart's not like him yet. And I'm just a firm believer, since you're not omniscient and I'm not omniscient, that we ought to operate not in what we don't know, i.e. where that imaginary line is. Let's operate in what we do know. And we do know that if anyone will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon his name, they shall be saved. And that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's all unrighteousness. That's not saying that there aren't consequences for sins. What I'm trying to say here is that the Father's heart is this. I spread out my hands continually to them. Continually to them. And they're rebellious. He says, I do it all day. I'm not being flippant with this, but just so we can get it. Father, what did you do today? Well, I did a lot of things, but one of the things I did is all day, I just spread out my hands to rebellious people. I just spread out my hands to them. I just gave them a chance. All day long, they're rebellious. They do what they do in front of my face. They provoke me to my face continually. Me and you were thinking, yeah, that hand that he's spreading out is probably going to be a fist and he's going to pummel him because we think that, that we, you know, we long for that kind of justice on the other guy. Right? This may be just a little too raw for a Wednesday night because I'm not sure if y'all are bored, asleep, or scared. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to juxtapose not so we'll be shamed or con- con- condemned in how different we are from the Father, but to show you that's how good his heart is. His heart is really that good. So all of these people that have failed and all of these people that have imploded, I'm talking about in the church, okay? Let me just start there in the church. And the heart that we've seen so often from, from Christendom is, is to, to banish them, to shoot our wounded, to make a, a public example and spectacle out of them, to joke about them, to gossip about them, to slander them, to write them off, to, 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 to let their name become a byword among us. And the Father's heart is, while we're doing all that, while the children are doing all of that, the Father's heart is, yeah, I've actually got my hands open to them, and they're doing this in my face continually, but my hands are open to them all day. What, what is that speaking? It just says, if I'm going to be like him, if I'm ever going to grow into the likeness of Christ, we, there are times where we, we, we need to quit praying, Lord, make me like Jesus. Just stop praying that over and over again and start being like Jesus. Amen. Just start being like him. It's, it's as if God's going to say, okay, zap. And that's how he's going to answer that prayer. No, we will be like Jesus as we are like Jesus. And you already can. That's the beautiful thing about being saved. Why? Because the spirit of him who raised up Christ from the dead lives in you. 
So you have the arm extender, the hand extender, the, the gracious one, the merciful one, the forgiving one. You have him in you. You can absolutely do this. Thank God for Jonah that God was as Isaiah professed him to be. In those verses, we're going to see what God described about himself. We're going to see that flavor the rest of the series on Jonah. Not only is Jonah going to get the benefit from it, but an entire city, a pagan, wicked, defiled, anti-Yahweh city is going to experience the open, welcoming hands of God. And he's going to bring revival like the world had never seen at that point. Let me pray and we're going to dismiss and I hope you'll, you'll chew on these things and um, yeah. So it might, might be real good just right now. If you know, I mean, I don't even have to say if, friends. We need to grow in this and we know it. So Lord, show us where we need to take steps of obedience to pattern your heart and your actions to those that have wronged us, abandoned us, hurt us. Don't leave us in the shallows, Jesus. We cannot do it in our flesh and we never will. But by your spirit, motivated by love for you and you loving others through us, we say yes to this. Give us opportunities this week to turn our hands in the same position that the Father turns his hands. Open all day in a posture of welcome, grace, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation. Anoint that commitment. We make it now. In Jesus' name, amen.